the very center piece, the very center of the Bible story revolves around one event, one episode in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is his death. Interestingly enough, it's the very middle or very center of everything that the Bible points toward. And you think about this idea of the main purpose of the Bible. When somebody says, what's the point of the Bible? I've never understood the Bible. How do we understand the Bible? And those kind of questions. Well, you can go back to the very beginning and you can look through the entire Bible and find out that it's based on or centered on the salvation of mankind. He created you to save you. And how did he do that? How how did he go about making this plan and then working this plan? Well, the plan of God involved the death of his son. The crucified Savior is the center of the Bible story. And I want us to look at this concept and see how for, from the very beginning, in fact, before the beginning of the, the foundation of the world, this was the very center of the story of the Bible. First of all, the cross was planned. This wasn't some accident. This wasn't something where he made a mistake, where God makes a mistake, and he has to kind of regroup and and, uh, come up with a plan B. Uh, There's religions that teach that. It's sad that uh, we've come to that point. But the cross was planned from the very beginning. In the book of Revelation, the book of symbols and the all the vision uh, that, that John received from the Savior, from the very foundation of the world, in the book of life, where we want our names to be found, it was there with the slain lamb. Revelation 13, verse 8, says this is the very foundation of the plan to kill or allow the Son of God to be killed on the cross. We go back to the very first mention of any kind of gospel, and it's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the proto-gospel. In that verse, the serpent is being uh, cursed, and He's, uh, he says to the serpent, he says, you, he shall bruise you on the head. That word for bruise really could be translated crush. Your head will be crushed, Satan, and you'll bruise him on the heel. Oh, yeah, it'll hurt. And just imagine the pain that our Savior went through and part of this whole plan that God had. And Jesus volunteers and he says, I'll work the plan. And this involved his death, a brutal, cruel death on the cross. This very first mention, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, reminds us that this was the plan from the very beginning to provide a way back for mankind. Once mankind has chosen sin, once we've departed from the plan of God, once we've gone our own way and said, we can do this ourselves, God says, I know, but I'll provide a way back. And the only way back is through his son and through the death of his son. And then we fast forward into the the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, and we're told that he had to descend into the very place of all the dead. The Old Testament calls that place Sheol, 
The New Testament calls it Hades. Sometimes it's been mistranslated as hell, but that's not what uh, is mentioned there in, in the scripture. The Hadean realm or Sheol is the place where the dead reside. And Jesus descended into this place and he was there for three days. And then he ascended. He came up out of the grave and we, we just uh, had an entire week of celebration of this event. Thankfully, the world still remembers this. And we still have this time where we can say, yes, he is risen. Yes, he is no longer in the grave. He has canceled the debt. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities. He has come out of the grave. And this was the very plan from the very beginning. The center of the Bible story begins with this plan, with this great plan of God. And then the Bible gives us images, pictures. The cross looms over all history and its shadow is cast both forward and back. It is cast back over the Old Testament. All of those faithful men and women, those that continued to understand and follow God, all of those men and women from the old, the shadow of the cross was cast over all of them. And it's cast over all of us 21 centuries after the fact. And this shadow that is cast is a picture of this cross. And then we go back to the very first sacrifice. We go back to the very first time when a sacrifice is used and is pleasing to God is the sacrifice of Abel. Abel brought a blood sacrifice to the Lord, and he gets this information directly from God. He offers a better sacrifice, and this sacrifice is this shadow of what's going to come. We're told that Jesus offered a better sacrifice in the book of Hebrews. We're told that this better sacrifice is based on this plan of God and it provides better promises and all of these things are better, but it's based on this idea of redemption comes through the blood of Christ, through the death of our Savior. We're told that he released us, he loosed us by his blood, Revelation 1 verse 5. And we see that this picture is continuing to be shown throughout all of the Old Testament, the sacrifice that Abraham was called to make with his promised son, his one and only. How many sons did Abraham have? Well, before Isaac was born, there was a young a young man named, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Completely spaced it. But he's uh, some 13 years before Isaac. And then he's got several other sons after that. But it's interesting that this one son of promise, this one son, he's told by God, oh, to sacrifice him. All right. So what do we call Abraham? He's the father of the faithful. Why? Because he provided or offered his one and only unique son. This is just a image a picture of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 16 and following, we find out that there is uh, a same image uh, given to be given to be our son, our savior, this unique one and only son. 
the sacrifice of Abraham is just a shadow. And then we have the Passover lamb. There's many times when uh, there are brought to the memory of the people of Israel that this God that brought them out of Egypt, out of the Egyptian slavery, and it was during this, this one event, this one night, where the death angel came into uh, all of Egypt and killed the firstborn, unless there was blood on the doorposts and on the lentil. And, and this Passover feast, this Passover feast was a lamb, and it was supposed to be roasted and then eaten entirely. And they were to eat it with leaven, unleavened bread. And all of this occurs, this Passover lamb. And the Israelites are continually reminded of this event. And it leads to and points to an event in the New Testament. Jesus dies during that same feast. He dies and becomes the Passover lamb. This cross that looms over all history, this this shadow that is cast by the cross that looms over all history comes to us and is reminded by the Passover lamb. In fact, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, there is a purpose for them to remind us that without blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without the, the sacrifices, without all of those sacrifices that lead up to the one sacrifice, this once for all sacrifice, this is what's pictured. The cross gives us this information. One of the best proofs, one of the best evidences that there is a God is this idea of prophecy. When something is prophesied some years before the event and it comes true, it gets our attention. Well, it's fascinating to think that throughout all of the scripture, the prophets foretold of an event that would change history. What was this event? What was this event that would change history? Well, this event was the crucifixion of Christ, the cross. Psalm 22, this image is given. And the words that Jesus even used while he was hanging on the cross and dying for our sins is, is a quotation from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why has you forsaken? Why have you forsaken? Why have you forsaken me? And this prophecy comes true. Jesus of the 322 some odd prophecies that are recorded in the scripture that all speak of our Messiah, all speak of the Christ. They all came true. Every prophecy. What are the odds of that happening by chance? There's not a big enough number. Remember that official, that royal official from Ethiopia? He is one that is in charge of all the queen's money from Ethiopia. And he travels 600 miles by chariot to worship as a Jew? Who is this guy? Well, he goes up all the way to Jerusalem. And as he returns from worshiping the one true God, he returns to Ethiopia, which northern Africa. <laughs> He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And remember, Philip is told, join yourself to that chariot. Go up and run up to that chariot and, and make yourself present. The Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, he says, 
Is he speaking of himself or someone else? Isaiah 53, and Philip begins with that very passage and teaches him the Christ. This prophecy was fulfilled at the cross. The cross was prophesied throughout Scripture. So we have, so far, we have this idea that the cross was planned, it was pictured, it was prophesied. But there's more. The cross was being prepared. Remember when Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she would give birth to the Savior of mankind? You're going to name him Jesus. Why would I name him Jesus? Well, he's going to save the people from their sins. You're going to name him what his uh, ministry is going to be. You're going to name him Jesus. And from this point on, there's an event coming that's going to change the world. Mary is foretold or is told by Gabriel that his life will end by saving all the people from their sin. And then we fast forward into the beginning of his ministry. He's some 30 years old. And John, the baptizer, he's out there in, at the Jordan River and he's baptizing. And he says, there's one coming after me that I can't even untie the sandal, his sandals. I, I'm unworthy to even do that. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When is that going to be, John? It's going to be at his death. He's going to baptize you with the fire and with the spirit. He's going he's to baptize you in something that's beyond me. And during his temptation there in the wilderness, at his transfiguration, all of this is the preparation for his crucifixion. He's being prepared. Over one-third of the Gospel of John tells of this final week of the life of Christ. A third. Beginning about chapter 13 of John, it goes on through uh, the, the end of the book of John. And it's like all of this information, this preparation for one singular event. Paul would describe this ministry. He would describe it as the Gospel. He would say, here's the definition of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel? That's good news? Death is good news? Burial is good news? Resurrection is good news? According to Paul, it is. He's declared, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, the Son of God. By what? By the resurrection of Christ after his death. And you have this preparation, the very centerpiece of the Bible story the cross of Christ. We go on to find out that the cross means that he has made a full payment for our sin. A full payment? Yeah, the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 26 talks about that. We all have memorized chapter 3, verse 23, or uh, chapter 3, 21. And we, we've memorized that one. We say, well, what is, what is this? Well, all of sin. Who sinned? All of sin. What? Fallen short of the glory of God? Yep. And he says, now this is your way back. It's through the blood of Christ, through the blood of this sacrifice and the belief in that blood. Belief drives us, drives us to action. We see that uh, great commission. We find it in Matthew 28, Mark chapter 16, he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Why would I do that? Why, why make this proclamation that all authority has been given to me? He says, because I want you to make them believe. I want you to give them the option to believe 
that I am who I claim to be, the very son of God. And because of my death and because of my burial, because of my resurrection, I've been declared son of God. Paul calls it propitiation, which is a word we don't use. But it's this idea of of having a substitute, someone that's going to take my place. God demands death. God says, you've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I demand death because of that. And God says, I'll be satisfied with the death of my son. That's payment in full. We can burn the mortgage. (laughs) Praise the Lord. The payment for sin has been taken care of. And you know what that caused the first century apostles to do? When they understood what their position was in comparison to the God, when they understood that they've been sent on a mission from God, they went out and they preached the crucifixion of Christ. Acts chapter 2, you nailed him to a cross. Acts chapter 3, you disowned him, put him to death. Acts chapter 4, this one whom you crucified, there's salvation in no other name. (laughs) Yep. What did they do? They went out and preached the cross. What do we do? What do preachers do today? (laughs) Well, they preach the cross. They preach the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And if you're not preaching that, what are you preaching? Are you just telling really cute little stories? Nice little poems? (laughs) It's not what the apostles did. They preached the cross of Christ. And this cross is the reason given in the epistles, all the letters that follow the book of Acts, all those letters that Paul wrote, that James wrote, that all of the, all the epistles point to one thing. Here's how you act as a Christian. Here's what you do as a Christian. Romans chapter six, I call it the death chapter. You've been crucified with him. You've become an instrument of righteousness. You now have a purpose. Now you know what you're supposed to be doing. Now you're involved in what God calls you to be involved in. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I, I know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of this, the practice of Christianity. He tells the saints in Galatians that before your eyes, he was publicly crucified. And now you have... You've been given the means and uh, the information to be able to practice as a Christian. Here's what you do. It's good to read. It's good to know the facts. It's good to have that information. But now do what he asks you to do. Practice makes perfect. Get out there and practice your Christianity. And the cross presents promises. Oh, the promises of the cross. There's nothing better than the promises given to us by the cross of Christ. Revelation chapter one, verse five tells us that we've been loved. How do we know that God loves us? How do we know the Savior loved us? How do we know that? Is there any proof? Yes, the cross of Christ. He released us from our sin. When did that happen? When were we released from our sin. When we were released, it was at the cross of Christ. And he said, I lifted you up. I've given you a noble purpose. Now we're described as those that have our robes washed white 
in the blood of the Lamb. It's the cross of Christ. And you start looking at this and you start seeing that all of these images, all of these promises, it's beautiful. We won't need sunshine in heaven. We won't need lamps. Why? Because the lamp is the lamb that was slain. We'll have light. God himself is light. And the throne of God and the lamb is described as these promises from heaven. We're going to have a street of gold to walk on. We're going to have all of this. And why is that? It's because of the cross of Christ. When we understand that, when we begin to get a glimpse of the importance of this cross, as it casts its shadow over all humanity of all time, before the cross, during the cross, after the cross, all of this gives us the beauty of this image, this promise from God. The cross presents better promises based on uh, the very image of Christ dying on the cross. But this should lead to a question. What must I do? <laughs> Is there anything I can do about it? That's a pretty good question. That question has been asked many times, and it's been answered the same way every time. They interrupted the preacher in the first sermon, the first the first sermon preached the day of Pentecost. They interrupted Peter and they said, what must we do to be saved? We're in trouble. We were the ones that were yelling in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him, put him on that cross. Not even knowing that was the plan of God. Satan is there cheering and he's thinking to himself, I've won. Look, the son of God is there on the cross. He is crying out in pain. He's bleeding. This, the, Satan is, is, must be rejoicing. Little did he know. That was part of the plan. That was part, part of the prophecies. That was part of the promises. That was part of the, all of it. So the question comes, what must I do? Well, Peter could have answered that anyway. He could have said, well, just accept Jesus into your heart. Say a prayer. He could have said that. <laughs> but what did he say? That's kind of where the rubber meets the road. What, what did Peter say? Well, he said, repent. Apparently, I can have some control over my life. Apparently, I can have self-control and I can change, make changes in my activities, make changes in my uh, actions, make changes in my life. That's what repentance means. Repentance means coming to your senses and, and returning to God. And he says, repent, let each one of you be baptized. Why on earth would I do that? So that your sins might be forgiven, that God might be satisfied with the death of his son. You apply the blood of Christ to yourself, and God says, I'm satisfied. Now, I don't have to die. Paul would let, write something like this. He would say, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We sing a song just like that. We, we've memorized that verse because we've sung the song so many times. 
question is, have you been crucified with Christ? <laughs> That's a yes or no question. That demands an answer. You see, the cross must be personalized. I got to take it, take a look at the, the beauty of this and understand all the information that's given, and then I've got to ingest it, and then I've got to personalize it, and I've got to make changes in my life. If I haven't been crucified with Christ, what's my condition? Well, that's a lost condition. Oh, we don't want to make judgments. Oh, that's the worst thing we can do in our society is make a judgment. <laughs> really? That's the worst thing? John chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, judge with righteous judgment. He makes the command. <laughs> it's like, where do I get righteous judgment from, Jesus? Well, his words. And then we make a decision based on the information that's given. And then we respond in obedient faith. We can be crucified with Christ. I can die to self. Well, that doesn't sound very pleasant. No. I can die to self and I can bury the old man. The kids give me a hard time about being the old man. It's like, <laughs> yep. It's coming for you too, baby. But I can die to self. I can be buried. And then I can be raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus would tell his disciples and his apostles. He would say, here's what it takes. This is what it's going to take. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Hmm. Well, let's, let's break that down. Deny myself? I don't like the sound of that because let's face it, it's all about me. <laughs> or is it? Paul says, no, it's all about the cross. What? That's the most important thing? It's not me? The world doesn't revolve around me. No, Jesus says, deny yourself. And then the worst thing he could ever say is, take up your cross. That's how I die, Jesus. I don't want to die. That's the problem. What do you want? Jesus says, take up your cross and then follow me. Mm. Well, that becomes the difficult part. It's simple, really, to understand the gospel message. It's pretty simple to obey the gospel. Some of us did it when we were 10, 11, 12 years old. Third graders get it. It's not that difficult. Repent. Change the direction of my life. Declare Jesus as Lord. Put him on in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. But how long are we going to live? That's the hard part. Following him till death. Whoa. That's where the cross must be personalized. And so when we come to the understanding that all of this information that we've learned just in this short lesson about the centerpiece of the Bible, the cross, planned, 
pictured, prophesied, prepared, preached, all the promises, all the practices, and making it personal. Then you start to understand the enormity of this wonderful gift. He loved us and released us and lifted us. And he wants us with him. Are you with him? Because the alternative is you're against him. I know how that ends. If I'm with him, I know how it ends. If I'm against him, I know how it ends. Where are you today in relation to the cross, to the centerpiece of the Bible? 